invite you to open up your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 13. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 13. We'll be reading from that passage in just a moment. As always, it's good to see everyone out this evening. Uh, we had a big number this morning, a lot of visitors, and we still have quite a few visitors this evening, and that's always a, a blessed thing. As I said, if you want to turn to Nehemiah chapter 13, sometimes we talk about not sounding like the world, and, and we use that illustrate, we use that application, and for good reason. We shouldn't sound like the world in every respect. Uh, but sometimes when we talk about that, I think that maybe we, we look at that and say, well, yeah, of course we don't want to sound like the world, but, but just, kind of, just kind of brush it aside and not really think about how deeply this is supposed to affect us. Is it really that big of a deal if, you know, I just kind of blend in with the world, maybe by how I, how I sound? Well, I think this story in Nehemiah chapter 13, uh, just a brief section that we'll read here, but in Nehemiah chapter 13 in verse 23, it says, In those days I also saw that the Jews had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. As for their children, half spoke in the language of Ashdod, and none of them was able to speak the language of Judah, but the language of his own people. So I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take of their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. And we'll stop there for just a moment. But you might put a bookmark there because we'll come back to it. But, but just for a little bit of historical context, this is after, you, you might think that they, they have made such an egregious mistake before they actually went into captivity. But this is actually after the exile. They have returned from captivity because of their disobedience, because of the fact that they had not been listening to God. And now, after the captivity had passed, you have this, this first wave of Jews come back under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Jeshua the high priest. Ezra comes in a little later than that and has to bring the people back uh, because of a lack of desire to tend to these spiritual matters like the temple and re, uh, revitalizing that and God's role in their lives. Nehemiah comes in 13 years after Ezra and many of the issues still seem to be lingering. You'd think that they would learn at this point we should probably hear what God has to say and take that and take nothing else and make sure, when I say take that, literally, really, truly apply it as deep as, as it's supposed to go. And the consequences of their choices and lifestyles had led to something truly disturbing. You, you read about some of what, what Nehemiah has said about the people, not just some random pagan people, not Gentiles, but God's people. How they had mixed themselves with, with Gentiles, people who are not God's people. How they spoke the language of Ashdod, and none of them was able to speak the language of Judah. Now we look at that and we might think, what's the big deal? It was a huge deal. And, and I, I kind of want to make that point as we go throughout the lesson this, this evening, and really just start there of what, what, what is the real issue? Why was this an issue? And first of all, I would just say, it shows that they were being assimilated by worldliness. It shows that they had allowed the world in. And it had taken them way further than they probably ever meant to go. And I think that this is consistent with sin today. I think it's consistent with what God says needs to stay out, to stay separate from the Christian's life today. We think, well, no, I, I, I know what God has said. But I, I think that maybe we can tamper with this. But you come back to Nehemiah chapter 13 and you see what happens when they just started tampering with it. It became pervasive throughout the entire Jewish people. 
And so much so, you, you just look at the language that Nehemiah uses in verse 25. I've contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair. I read something like that and I'm thinking, I don't know if I'm doing my, doing my job right. Because here he's, he's going to extreme lengths to try and get these people to, to understand what God has to say. You know, say what you will about me, but I don't, I've, never had to, I've never done that. It was, it was this serious. This was an issue that they had allowed the world in and they were letting it, not just allowing it in, but allowing it to change them. That is a big deal. Not only that, but this revealed that they had forgotten God to a great degree. And, and I think sometimes when we, when we say something like that, we, we always think, well, it, you know, it, you're just full out forgotten. They, they, they think nothing of God. They, have, they don't even remember who God is. I'm not saying that they full out forgot, but in small portions, repeatedly over time, I think you do forget about God. It never just happens one day you know, you were devotedly serving him and you were doing everything that he told you to do. And then the next day you wake up and you just don't think about it at all. This happens over time. It happens over time building not godly habits, but new habits that kind of start pushing him out of our schedule, pushing him out of our lives. And so it, it, it probably didn't happen just one day all of a sudden. It probably took time, as I think you see in the, in the fact that they had started bringing these people into their families and mixing with them. And so they have built up a couple generations at this point that have gotten further and further away from God. And you just remember in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're not going to turn there just yet, but in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verses 6 through 9, you see how dedicated God says and expects His people to be towards His word, towards His will. They are supposed to Never stop thinking about it. Never stop speaking it. Never stop talking to people about it. Even when they lie down. Even when they rise up. Always be meditating on God's word. But I tell you what. How this happens. How you get to a point where a generation like in Judges that knows not God. Or a point where they forget the language of God's people. Of Judah. This happens where God said to continually speak his word in the home. When it starts being neglected, when it starts being neglected, not just at home, but starts to seep outward of the home. It, it, again, I, I, think that, I think that this can happen in, in just a small drifting away. And we have to be so very careful about that, that, that there isn't a subtle drifting away. Just because it's subtle, that doesn't mean that it's not incredibly dangerous. Now, some religious people have adopted homosexuality into the church. Because it wasn't preached about enough. I know people who have, who have jumped completely to another. Uh, I'll, I'll just give you an example. We, me and Paige had a couple of friends who grew up really similar to, we, to the way we did. We grew up going to worship services. We heard what our parents had to say about God. What's interesting is even this, this Christian fellow, he, he married a girl. He converted her. But there wasn't really any firm, deep roots in the Word. So what happened was, eventually, you kind of see little subtle drifts along the way, but eventually, they decided to join the Episcopalian Church. Or rather, sorry, the Church of England. I'll tell you what, that is not at all similar to the Church of Christ, to the Church you find in the Bible. <laughs> I mean, they, they just went completely off the radar, just all of a sudden. And you know why this happens? And I remember talking to these people... Uh, <laughs> We didn't have the serious conversations at the beginning. I almost wish that we had started even sooner. But you can see it happening with people, slowly but surely. 
And, and so this happens because they stop hearing it as much as they should, hearing about authority, hearing about the one church. And so many denominations have started accepting, as I said a moment ago, all kinds of things into their assembly, into their church, by, by, by adding these things that God said is sinful, like homosexuality, in. And it's because it's, it's not, not only just outright not being spoken, but it's starting to shift the language. You know, maybe it's not just a sin. Maybe it's just not looked upon very highly. Maybe it's just frowned upon by God. All of these things lends itself to generations that end up losing or end up forgetting about God. Now, not only that, they looked like the world. They sounded like the world, as, as you see in the text here, because they spoke their language. I think that there is no better way to look like the world than to speak like them. That's, how we, that's the first question we asked during this study is, does it really matter? I think it does because what this shows is at least when you're talking to someone, there's almost no difference. There's no distinction that can be picked out. And that's a problem. And you see that in verse 24, that, that, that they had forgotten the language of Judah. You go over to Deuteronomy chapter 18, Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 9, and it says, When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who casts a spell, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. Now, we could go to other passages like Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 18, verses 26 through 30. It says essentially the same thing. Over and over again, God says, do not look like them. It was detestable when they did it. It's detestable even when his people does it. And so before they even take the promised land, he's trying to get this instilled in their brains. Do not do the things that they do. Do not look like them. Do not sound like them in so many different ways. And he speaks even more about this and the need to, to, to even make sure that they don't start mixing Gentiles into their families. But, but specifically when you talk about what they sounded like, how are God's people supposed to speak? How are God's people supposed to sound? Remember 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. I tell you what, if you are speaking the utterances of God, you will never sound like the world. Because it's, it just goes against the grain of, of the current cultural climate right now. Because it's righteous amidst unrighteousness. Because people who live in darkness don't want to see the light. Lest their deeds be exposed. And so, we need to make sure that we are not ourselves blending in with the world, sounding like them, but sounding as God ha would have us to sound, as we see there in that passage speaking the very utterances of God. Well, not only this, but they were assimilated by worldliness in losing their language. You think about what they've lost in this. Again, it's not just, it's not just some, some unimportant thing. It was, it was their spiritual heritage. It was their spiritual identity. When they heard the word sacrifice, the Jews, I mean, you know this because you've read the Bible. When you hear the word sacrifice, what does your mind immediately go to? You think about Leviticus 
and the burnt offering and the grain offering, the peace offering. And you go to Deuteronomy when it talks about all these different sacrifices that the people are supposed to give up for different reasons. You immediately go to Jesus and his sacrifice. And then you immediately go to what we're supposed to sacrifice. Why do you have that connotation, that context in your mind? Because you were raised, or maybe you weren't raised, but you instilled this in your own mind when you came to Christ or when you started reading the Bible. But I'll tell you what, or let me just ask you a question. In Nehemiah chapter 13, when those children heard the word sacrifice, what do you think their minds went to? Did it immediately go to Leviticus? Did it immediately go to the law of Moses? Or did it go to the, the, their mother's definitions of what sacrifice is supposed to mean? When they heard the word priest, did they think of the idolatrous, sexualized roles of paganism? Or did they think of God's holy roles, that holy priesthood? What was supposed to be a, a nation, a kingdom of priests? You know, it's not just something that can happen back then. It's something that can happen today. This can and it does affect us. If we're not thinking, if the first thing that comes to our minds when we hear certain words like this, if it's not from the Bible, that's a problem. And that's a sign. That's evidence of that subtle shift that maybe we're drifting further than we mean to go. How does all this happen? Well, it's because ultimately they invited their uh, the world into their lives. The, the children only hurled, or heard worldliness from their mothers instead of hearing about this holy priesthood, instead of hearing about holiness and of God and of His people from their fathers. Back over in Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 26, picking back up in verse 26. After he says of how he had to rebuke the people for bringing these, these foreign women into their families, it says in verse 26, giving an illustration, did not Solomon king of Israel sin regarding these things. Yet among the many nations there was no king like him, and he was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, the foreign women caused even him to sin. Do we then hear about you that you have committed all this great evil by acting unfaithfully against our God by marrying foreign women? Even one of the sons of Joida, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was a son-in-law of Sanballat, the Horonite, so I drove him away from me. Remember them, O oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. I think it's just wonderful that he brings up Solomon because what that shows you is he was, other than Jesus, the wisest man who ever lived, bar none. He could not handle this temptation. If he cannot, what made them think that they could? If he could not, what makes us think that we can not saying it's impossible. What I'm saying is it's playing with fire. When we bring the world in so readily and so quickly without any consideration. And I'll just say, if you think things have changed over time, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 14, and just keep reading. It has not changed. In fact, what Paul does is quote from the Old Testament to say the same thing that God always wanted from his people, which is separate from these people. You separate from the world and you look more like me like that holy kingdom of priests. So I think that this is very important. This isn't just some, some silly issue. This is a real issue that affected them. Now, with all that being said, I just want to ask the question, what are we saying today? Are we speaking the language of Ashdod? Or are we speaking the oracles of God? Now, I, I, I want to kind of explain what I mean by this. First of all, looking at the religious world, the religious world 
uses scriptural terms all the time, but in the most unbiblical ways. For example, in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, Paul says, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Ephesians 4 and verses 11 through 12. So this word pastor, this is a very, very frequently used word in the denominational world, in the religious world. Now, it is a biblical term. You do find this within the Bible. It is a position, in fact, in the kingdom. But, but the world has warped it. And how have they warped it? You sometimes hear people say, well, do you have a head pastor? I don't know exactly what that means. Are you talking about Christ? Because if, if you're thinking about 1 Peter chapter 5, where the elders are looking up to that chief shepherd, sure, okay. But that's not what people tend to mean, do they? People say, well, who, who is your head pastor? There is none. Rather, you have an eldership that is looking to the chief shepherd, Jesus, trying to follow that example. And men who are qualified to be that. You see some denominational folks who, who look at the word pastor and say, well, this is just the preacher. It's not just a preacher. It could be. That could be something that, that this specific pastor does. But the word pastor does not mean preacher. It does not mean evangelist. There are qualifications that you see in Titus chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And so it's such a, a warped mentality on what this word actually means. It is primarily a shepherd. You go to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 25. It talks about how to shepherd the flock and take care of God's flock. Now, when, when people talk to us and they use this kind of language, I'm not saying that, that, that we just... Try to make people feel silly. Try to make, I'm, I'm not saying just make people feel stupid about them. I'm not saying that. But are we helping the confusion by taking that language? You know, I understand that maybe they just don't have very much Bible knowledge. So let's just use some accommodative language. And when you use it accommodatively, what are you doing? You're reinforcing their misunderstanding. It's kind of like when it, it, some of the things that are, are some of the discussions that are happening today in the workforce. What happens when a Christian meets a transgender and the transgender says, "You have to call me by a specific pronoun." What are you going to do? Are are you, are you going to per perpetuate the lie? Are you going to are you going to use the pronoun? Here's the thing: you don't have to use any pronouns. You can just use the name over and over again. It's not that you're just trying to be disrespectful. It's not trying that, that you're trying to hurt their feelings. But you have a duty to God. And, and, and a part of that duty is making sure that, that we are not ourselves reinforcing lies, reinforcing misinterpretations. And so we wouldn't do it there. Nobody here would do that in, in that realm. But when it comes to this kind of language, are we doing that? We need to be careful about that. I'll tell you another word that I really want to focus on, and that is the word faith. This is an incredibly misinterpreted word. Most of the religious world, and the secular world for that matter, have no idea what this word means. I tell you what most people think about this word. It's, it's just a mere mental ascent of facts. It's just, I believe that God exists, and that's as far as it goes. I tell you what, the New Testament, when you see how many times that this Greek word is used, it is not just, I agree with some facts. It's, it's talking about a serious devotion, a serious dedication here. And so let's look at a couple of these passages. And I would just say, as we look at these, many brethren have accepted some of these de denominational definitions over scriptural 
definitions. And we need to be careful that we haven't just, maybe not even thinking about it, allowed this to affect our brains. In James chapter 2 and verse 15, it says, If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But I thought that faith was just, was just merely belief. Faith is just thinking, God exists, that's it. That's not. It's not what the Bible, how the Bible uses the word faith. It involves that. That's where it starts. But that is most certainly not where it ends. Look at another passage in, in Acts chapter 16 and verse 1. Here it talks about the same word. And let me just ask, is this merely someone who believes God exists when, they're, when, when Luke is writing through Acts and he's talking about these believers, when he's talking about these Christians? Is he just talking about people who just believes that God exists or someone who is faithful to him? Think about this as we look at these next couple of verses. In verse 1 of Acts chapter 16, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Was Timothy just someone who left it at, I know God exists? He actually was much more devoted than that. In fact, there are two epistles that are written by Paul to Timothy to, to just strengthen that kind of faith that he had. Over in verse 15 of the same chapter, speaking of someone else, when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us saying, this is Lydia, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. I think this is the way that this word should be translated most of the time. And I know that there are reasons that are, it's translated in different ways, but I think it would behoove, I think it would help us so incredibly much if we thought of the word faithful whenever we read this Greek word of, of belief or faith. Because really that's what it's conveying more of. It's not just someone who believes that God exists. It starts there, but it's someone who is strongly faithful to him. When you talk about a marriage and you say, and you, you, you talk about people being faithful to one another, what does that mean? Is it, is it hard to understand what that means? Is it just, well, I believe that this person exists. Good for you. They're standing right in front of you. No, what you're saying is, I'm going to be faithful to this person. And they're going to be faithful to me. And what that means is loyalty, allegiance above all others. This is what it's supposed to mean for the Christian, for the believer. That they are truly faithful. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, it's interesting because I think that this just proves all the more why, why we're using this word, why we're looking at it. I think it really does convey faithfulness. Because over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9, it's not talking about man, it's talking about God. The same word for God. But what does it say? God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It'd be kind of weird if it was saying God believes that we exist. Yeah, He created us. So, so clearly, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about way more than just mere belief that something exists. It's talking about true covenant faithfulness. One more passage in Romans chapter 3. The reason I want to bring this up is because the same word is used, is translated in three different ways. And, and I haven't bolded up there in, in, on the screen, but if I could, I would like to supply the word for each time it's used for the word faithful. So that way, and I want to see how it differs. What advantage has the Jew then? 
Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Great in every respect. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. What then? If some did not have faith, if some were not faithful, their unfaithfulness will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? Now, I think that these words, belief and unbelief, also fit here. But I think it just emphasizes what Paul is trying to say when you read it the way that I read it. It's not just about that they, for a moment, they were kind of skeptical, or skeptical about you know, God's existence. It was that they had betrayed him. They were unfaithful. They had left the covenant. They had left him. And so, are, are we using faith in the same way that the religious world uses, in the same way that the secular world would like us to use it? When, how do our children, how can our children be harmed if we use faith in the same way that the world does and not the way that God wants us to use it? It will be detrimental to their very souls and their very salvation. And so we need to be careful about that. Well, not only does the religious world misuse scriptural terms, the secular world diminishes what God has emphasized. The secular world uses different terms than God uses, and it's always, I would say, for a purpose. You think about a term like fornication. That's not a word we often use. Well, he fornicated with someone, and so that's why he's in trouble. And I, to a degree, I'll say I kind of understand it, it's an older word. Sometimes people look at it and they say, well, that's just archaic. But look at what happens when you start using worldly terminology. Well, he's, he was just sleeping around. Or they were just hooking up. What are people trying to do? They're trying to paint a, a better light. They're, they're trying to make something that is utterly sinful and utterly disgusting and make it not so disgusting. My question is, I'm not saying that we should just try to be inappropriate. But should sin ever be viewed in a pleasant way, in a comfortable way? Every single time, sin should always be looked at and viewed as disgusting, as vile, as something that separates us from God. And I think that when we use language that, that just kind of diminishes the severity that God puts on that sin, I think sometimes we can engage in the same thing that the secular world does, just trying to say that it's not as bad as it really sounds. So just, let's just use words or use terms that you don't necessarily find in the Bible, just other words that mean the same thing. I'll tell you another way that people do this, it, with adultery, infidelity. Infidelity really, I think, sounds good when you're talking about, when you're trying to describe what adultery really is. They were not faithful. Now, sometimes people come up and they say, well, he had an affair. And again, I know that these are common ways of talking about this. Or he stepped out on her. That was an interesting one that I never heard until I came to this house. Uh, and again, it does make it a little less hard to talk about because you're not saying he committed adultery. He had sexual relations with another woman that was not his wife. That is more uncomfortable. <laughs> but don't... Even though it's more uncomfortable, let's not just say go to the other. Let's not just go to an extreme and say let's downplay the terrible betrayal and shame of this sin just because it'll make things a little bit more bearable. Sin's never supposed to be so comfortable and pleasant to talk about. I'll tell you one way that we all definitely can agree on, and that is the killing of the unborn. We sometimes people use words like abortion. They talk about reproductive rights. They talk about choice. That is such an important word, choice, except for the babies. But, but, but 
you know, we're just trying. We know exactly what they're doing. They're trying to downplay the severity. They're trying to downplay the utter terror of the action that they are committing. It is murder. But we don't want to use that word because that would indicate that, that there was actually life in the womb, right? But that's what the secular world tries to do. They try to, they try to change words or change terms so that way it doesn't sound as bad as it actually is. Especially when it comes to something like this. Should we be allowing that? No, of course not. And I don't think that we should be allowing it, period, across the board. If our children hear us use worldly language, it will lose all impact that God wanted it to have. And so we need to be using biblical language the right way. Now, there are several other things that we could talk about. People sometimes talk about the church and they say, our church versus your church. I thought there was one church. Or sometimes we talk about Christians, but they're in a denomination. Are they Christians? How can you be a Christian if you haven't done what God has told you to do? How can you be a Christian if you're not a part of his church? But you see, we, we, I think sometimes we just don't think about that. Or sometimes, and this is a very common one, I've even done this before, but we call the building the church. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to church. <laughs> and again, I've done that before, but shame on me. Because that is not, the building is not the church. We are the church. And we don't want to reinforce misunderstanding. We don't want to deter biblical language. And we don't want to deter our children and, and the brethren around us from understanding fully what that biblical language is supposed to be and what it's supposed to sound like. Now, finally, I want to just look at a few objections. Sometimes people will say, well, shouldn't we just speak accommodatively? Just three things here. One objection sometimes people will say is we shouldn't use this language, scriptural language, because it'll just be offensive. It's just going to hurt people's feelings. But go over to Matthew chapter 15 and verse 12 very quickly. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 12. Look at what happens with Jesus. In verse 12 of Matthew chapter 15, the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. What does Jesus say? Oh, I feel so bad. Jesus' point was not to, not to just wreck their minds. It, was, it wasn't just to make them angry, but you know what? He wasn't going to spare their feelings just because he wasn't going to spare their feelings by, by compromising on God's will. And we can't either. Our goal is never to offend, but we can't shy away from preaching just because it will inevitably offend people. I remember one brother who said as he was in a study, he was talking to someone about marriage, divorce, remarriage. And it was difficult to hear for these people. And, and as he recalled this, he, he said, my greatest regret as I was talking about this was saying, I'm sorry that it says that. And as he recalled that, he said, I wish that God would have stopped my mouth before I could ever apologize for his word. I think sometimes we get caught up in that. We want to apologize more than just share it. And so it may offend. That shouldn't stop us from using biblical language. Going beyond that, sometimes people will say, well, I'm not going to speak like that because you know what? It's just, it's just antiquated language. It's just archaic, and it, it just doesn't make any sense. So you're, you're just being a stick in the mud. You're just being old-fashioned. Well, I would just say the Bible is, in fact, antiquated language. It's antiquated thought. That, that, there's just no question in that. That doesn't mean that it's not relevant today. Even though it is antiquated thought, that doesn't mean that 
modern culture gets to change what it says. In fact, it is still living as God says in Hebrews chapter 4 in verse 12. It is a, that double-edged sword, living and active. It's not dead just because it's old. And so, but, I, but I will say, from, from a worldly standard, I guess this makes sense. Because, you know, we need to use language that ma- makes sense for people. Does that mean that we just start saying things differently just to make it more modern? If we're going to start doing that, we should, we should change way more than just that. We should change all kinds of words. We should change all kinds of terminology just to make it easier. For, just because, you know, a lot of the words, a lot of the phrases, a lot of the words of God are antiquated. So let's just start changing them. No, we, we wouldn't go that far. Why are we going that far when it comes to very specific, maybe difficult things to talk about? Like fornication. Like murder. We don't want to do that. This is, this is really just an excuse to deflect the seriousness of certain sins that God has said cannot be a part of a Christian. That God has said it will separate someone from him for all eternity. And honestly, I think people do this even with the word sin. Sin has become, well, I fell. Or I messed up. Or I had an accident. Or I'm only human. What are we trying to do? We're trying to, take the, we're trying to deflect the blame. Should we be doing that, though? I'll tell you one more way, that, one more objection that people give. And that is, you know, shouldn't we try to be all things to all men? Doesn't it matter that we try to make sure that when people are talking to us about the Bible, that we leave the door open for them to, to, to hear more of what Jesus has to say? Well, I, I am all for, I'm all for trying to make sure that, that we don't preach like Jonah just to make sure that people don't repent. But you think about what Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 through 2. Don't be conformed to their standards. We're not going to be offensive just, just, just to be offensive. But that doesn't mean that we're not transformed still. It doesn't mean that we're, supposed to just, that we're just okay with starting to conform to the world and, and worldly language and worldly standards. In Acts chapter 24, in verses 24 through 25, we're not going to turn there, but that's where Paul is talking to Felix, the governor at the time. Here is a man that could have freed him. Here is a man that could have helped him out greatly in this time of need. But what does Paul do? He doesn't shy away from the hard things. In fact, Paul, who was the man who said, I am all things to all men, did not hold back on the judgment that scared Felix to the point where he didn't want to hear anymore. This man could have freed him. Paul says his soul is worth more than my freedom. Do we think about it in those kinds of terms? This is going to make it more uncomfortable for me. Guess what? Their soul, my soul, is more important than comfort, than a pleasant conversation. In fact, I would say every single conversion starts with an uncomfortable conversation. And what is that uncomfortable conversation? It is you're a sinner. You have fallen from God's grace. You have fallen because you have sinned against him. You have broken his law. And you had no way, no thing to get you out of that debt. But God has provided his son, his only begotten son, so that way you could get out of that debt. And, and not, just, not just push it away further and further, but to have it paid in full. That's an uncomfortable conversation, but it's an important one. And so... If you're a Christian, maybe you realize that you, maybe you've been struggling in this. You don't have to continue struggling in it. Maybe you realize that you have been speaking accommodatively 
We don't have to continue in that. The beauty of being a Christian, one of the many beauties and blessings of being a Christian is that we have an advocate in heaven. And we don't have to continue repeating the same mistakes. We can repent, we can confess right then and receive his mercy and be right with him once more. If you are not a Christian, just understand. Israel, they lost their spiritual identity. They lost their spiritual heritage. If you have not obeyed the conditions of Christ in his great invitation, you have no spiritual heritage. You have no spiritual identity. But you can put that on today. Are you willing to accept his conditions? Are you willing to be baptized into his death, the rise and news of life? Do everything that he says till your death so that you can be with him in heaven. You can make that happen tonight. If you're subject to the invitation of Christ by any means, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.